All right, good morning. How is everyone? I think half the nine o'clock service is watching the ending of the World Cup as we speak. Um, if I wasn't the pastor, I think I'd come to the second service today, maybe, I don't know. Anyways, good to see you this morning. Uh, if you know the score or if you know who wins, please do not tell me, all right? I want to go home and watch it. So, hey, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, you know, if you're a guest with us today, thanks for being with us this morning. Um, you know, we, we teach the Bible. Uh, we teach through books of the Bible. We, we explore God's word verse by verse to try to unpack what, what, is, what is God saying in his word and then how does it apply to our lives. So I want to encourage you to pull out your message notes this morning if you received uh, those in your program. And uh, we're going to just jump right into the message, uh, kind of doing a Christmas series uh, the whole month of December. And so we're going to be talking about reconciliation is now possible. And if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something a little different. We're going to go old school, okay? I want you to stand, and we're going to read this passage together. It's only two verses, so uh, typically I do longer. I want you to stand. We're going to read this together. Follow my lead. Uh, when we get to a comma or a period, we'll take a slight pause. And um, let's begin reading. It's Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. You ready? For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. Amen. That's the word of God. You may be seated. <clears throat> I would say Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, are the greatest two verses in the Bible about Christmas. I would say especially in the Old Testament. This is the message of the Bible condensed into two verses. I love what Charles Spurgeon's grandfather uh, told us, reminded his, his, um, his grandson. He said, someone else might be able to preach the gospel better, but he can't preach a better gospel. Amen? This is, in a nutshell, the message, the gospel, the good news of the Bible. This is the history of God's redemptive story kind of packed into two verses, tucked away in, in, in a prophetic book called the book of Isaiah. 700 years before the star guided the Magi to the Messiah's birthplace in Bethlehem, before the shepherds were out tending their sheep and, 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 and the, 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 the angelic host emblazoned the sky, and, and delivered the good news, this news of a coming Messiah, before all of that took place, Isaiah, the prophet, to the, 
to the nation of Israel. He predicted the birth of a, of a man who would change history. But before there was good news, <clears throat> before there was the star, before there was the shepherd and the, the good news announcement, before the magi came traveling, maybe a massive entourage that had such influence and power and authority, before all the good news kind of centered around Bethlehem, there was bad news. There was bad news. And this bad news is the fallenness of humanity that's connected to the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. So here's point number one. I want you to write this down. All humanity is sinful. All humanity is sinful. Isaiah says, for to us, I want us to pay attention to every word. For to us, you, me, us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. So this begs the question, why was he born? Why did Christ come? Christ came because we're sinners. That's why he came. As Joe said a moment ago, he came to bridge a massive divide. He came to represent us to God. He came to be that representative that mediator, that go-between, that advocate, only Christ could stand in the gap between fallen, sinful, broken humanity and a perfect, righteous, holy God. Someone should say glory to God. I mean, he's able, I want you to think about this, Christ is able to stand in the gap for you. He's able to stand in the gap because he's perfect. Tempted? Yes. Sinner? No. So we have this holy God. The, the holiness of God is his crowning jewel when it comes to his attributes. It's his quintessential aspect of his character. God is holy. He's pure. He, he loves good, hates evil. He's in a class of his own. He is unique. He is the holy one. The only one who is holy. We have this holy God and we have this mediator between us and God, between fallen, broken, sinful humanity and a perfect, righteous, holy God. And the mediator is the man, Christ Jesus. So the bad news is all humanity is sinful. Anybody want to testify to their sinfulness this morning? Anybody want to just acknowledge? Yeah, I got one person raising their hand. Thank you, Goldie. Appreciate that. You know, we're pretty fallen. We're pretty broken people. You know, um, we've all heard the saying, you know, love the sinner, but hate their sin. How about love the sinner, hate your own sin? Get on your own sin. You know, we're good at, at pointing fingers at other people. We're so good at it. We're so good at ignoring our own past, ignoring our brokenness, ignoring the pain, ignoring our mistakes, but then we're so quick to have our eyes open and, and our eyes searching and our hearts searching for the, the, the wrongdoing, the mistakes, the sin, the hangups, the, the addictions in other people's lives. The whole human race is fallen. This is so contrary to, to culture. People, they, they, don't, they don't see themselves as a sinner, they see themselves as a victim. I'm a victim of my upbringing. 
I'm a, I'm a victim of uh, how my parents raised me. Listen, I, I'm not going to downplay those things. Those, those things have, have massive impact upon our lives. But the reality is you were broken at the moment of conception. King David said that. He, we were conceived in transgression and sin. David acknowledged that his brokenness didn't happen at the moment of adultery of Bathsheba. His brokenness didn't happen at the moment when he took Bathsheba's husband's life, Uriah, which was one of his mighty men. David recognized that he was broken from the womb. And let me just say this, you're gonna be broken from the womb to the tomb. Womb to the tomb, man. You're never gonna get over it. You're never gonna get past the brokenness. You're never gonna get past the the hangups. But this is the glory of the gospel. This is the good news of Christ. Even though our DNA is stained and twisted with sin, we have broken the word and the will of God. There's good news. There's hope. There's there's hope for our spiritual condition. So what does that mean for us? There's a spiritual problem. There is a spiritual problem that we all have, that we're all facing, and it's monumental, it is colossal, it is mammoth. So what are we going to do about it? The spiritual problem is that we are sinful and we're separated from this holy, righteous God. Jesus came to bring good news. I just want to camp out on a few ideas. He came to bring light. He came to bring love. He came to bring hope. And he came to bring grace. He came to bring light, love, hope, and grace. Let's talk about light real quick. I want you to I want you to see this. I love this. This is one of my favorite verses. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 to 6. Notice this with me. In their case, so Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, uh, this church that had a lot of problems, and, 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 and Paul's really trying to help iron some things out. You know, he's mentoring, shepherding, loving them, and he's saying, listen, in, in, in their case, speaking of the, 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 the spiritual plight condition of unbelievers, in their case, the God, notice little G, not big G, Can I get amen? The God of this world, okay, maybe not an amen, all right. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. So Satan's aim is to blind people. He's gonna put scales of unbelief upon people's eyes so they don't see the glory of Christ, the treasure of Christ, the the awesomeness of, of Christ. So He's blinded the minds of the unbelievers. And why does he do that? To keep them from seeing, notice this, the light of the gospel, the light of the good news of the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ is light. It's good news. Anyone excited? Who, and then it says, what does it say about the glory of Christ? <coughs> Who is the image of God? You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. This is one of my favorite verses. It's like a pastoral verse, right? For what we proclaim is not ourselves. It is not about me. Um, It's about Jesus Christ our Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Oh, I so badly want to chase a rabbit right here, but I'm not gonna. But maybe just for a moment. Maybe just for a moment. we, We have too much celebrity pastor stuff going on in our culture. People are looking and they're adoring. And on one level, I think they're worshiping these celebrity pop culture pastors. Your eyes need to be fixed on Jesus. Look to Jesus. 
He's your light. He's your hope. He's your grace. He's your love. And then notice what it says. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. So I want you to picture before the coming of Christ, people were living in darkness. And God says, let there be light, not just light in creation, but now there's the light of the good news, the light of Christ, this flashing light that has come on the scene uh, to, to, to guide people into the light of truth, into the light of grace, into the light of hope. Anybody with me? Come on now. Come on now. And it says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Wow. That's a lot. I mean, you got to really like spend some time unpacking that. Satan's aim is for you to live in the shadows of death. He's going to do everything within his power to keep you from seeing the awesomeness of Christ, the glory of the risen king. His aim is to keep unbelievers from seeing the light of the gospel. But there's this spiritual light. When, when Christ came on the scene, people saw the light. John the Baptist prepared for the light. This light was penetrating the hearts of people. Here's what Paul's saying. If you see Jesus, you see the very face of God. That's what he's saying. So if you want to know the God, the creator of the universe, you have to look to Jesus. Here's what I love about this verse. You know, when God's, the passage is talking about light is shown in the darkness, God didn't leave us in the darkness. He didn't leave us in the darkness, right? That's grace. That, that's amazing grace that God chose to, to bring the greatest gift, his son, into the world so that we might be forgiven and saved. God doesn't leave us in the darkness. He's not gonna leave you in the darkness. He's not going to leave you in your sins. He's not going to leave you in your despair or your loneliness or your hopelessness. No, he, he comes to penetrate the darkness of your life with the light of his grace and with his love. Here's the second one. He came to bring love. You know, we all know John 3.16, right? Does anybody else know about the other John 3.16? 1 John 3.16, you ready for Oh, well, some of you are cheating. You're looking at your notes. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love. Which begs the question, well, what is love? By this we know love. Well, what is love? What's, what's the definition of love? What, what is real love? What does it look like? That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. <clears throat> he came to bring light. He came to bring love. He came so that he... He would give his life as a ransom for many. And then he came to bring hope. The angel Gabriel was sent by God to tell Mary in Luke 1.33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. You know, the people were wondering, you know, will our king ever come? They were waiting for a king, but they didn't understand that, that Isaiah, he had kind of a, a two-punch prophetic message about this coming Messiah. This Messiah would be a king, yes indeed, but this Messiah would also be a suffering servant. Christ being the suffering servant, which is so um, 
counterintuitive, countercultural. It, was, it went against the grain of Jewish thinking. Like they didn't quite understand. What? What, do you, what do you mean suffering servant? Like Christ repeatedly, multiple times, explained to his disciples, this is what's going to take place as, as they're making their way to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed and handed over and, and uh, I'm going to be crucified. He let them know about his soon impending death. But they didn't, they didn't understand it because in their mind they thought, no, no, the Messiah, he's going to come and he's going to set up his kingdom and he's going he's, he's to put his boot on the neck of, of, of the uh, Roman government and he's going to rule and reign and we will live in peace. All of that is coming someday, amen? All of that is coming someday. I take a literal interpretation of the book of Revelation. I think at some point, second coming, I believe in the rapture and seven year tribulation and second coming of Christ and there's a few things that are gonna happen at the end times but at the very end, there's gonna be a thousand year reign and I think we will rule and reign with him for a thousand years and then he will usher us into our eternal home. Someday he is gonna rule and reign. And there's gonna be perfect peace and perfect righteousness. But right now, he's ruling and reigning, or should I say, he should be ruling and reigning in our lives. This is the hope that the, the angel Gabriel, this, this, this angel, can you just, we talk about angel, Gabriel, Mary, and Joseph, and Jesus, listen. Gabriel was sent by God to deliver a message to Mary. That's just mind-blowing. And when he shows up, he tells her, this baby of yours, you know, it's a boy. Celebration, right? It's a boy. He's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. She had to have been scratching her head. Pondering, what does this mean? Your son would be an eternal king. Talk about hope for the people. Talk about hope for us, right? We're, we understand life is beginning, end, right? You're born, you die. You know, if you hold a position for so much time, Christ is forever going to be the king of this universe. His kingdom will never come to a halt. It will never end. He will rule and reign forever and ever and ever. He also came to bring grace. There was an angel that appeared to Joseph in a dream in Matthew 1.21. It says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. You know, Jesus is more than a baby in a manger. He's the king of the universe. When, when Jesus came to earth, I want, you to just, I want you to just understand this for a moment. When Jesus came to earth, heaven came down. Heaven came down. When, 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 when Jesus left the throne room of glory and he took upon flesh and he, and he came and he penetrated our world and he was born of a virgin and he was placed into this manger, heaven, the glory of heaven, the presence of God, Emmanuel, God with us, came to earth. God came to earth with skin on. Your skin, he had that skin. Tempted in every way. He was fully man. So just start making a quick list of all the things that you've been tempted you know, to engage in. 
sinful behavior. Jesus has been there, check. He's been there, check, check. He checks all the boxes. This is why Christ is able, he, he understands what he understands you. He's been there. And this is why he can carry the load. He can carry your burdens. He can rescue you from temptation because he's been there. He's conquered that. God came to earth. Heaven came down. You know, when I started thinking about that, that phrase, heaven came down, I started thinking about, there's an old school hymn, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Anybody remember that hymn? A few of you? I, I, I started looking it up. I was like, heaven came down. All right, amen. All right. Um, but let me say this. Heaven came down, this ain't heaven. This earth, it ain't heaven. A lot of people, they think it's heaven. See, if you're a believer, this is the worst it's gonna get. If you're an unbeliever, this is the best it's gonna get. The good news, the story of Christmas is that Jesus brought heaven to us. Jesus didn't have to do that. God didn't have to send the Father on this divine rescue mission, but he did, and that's why we call it grace. Grace is unmerited. It's unearned favor. Grace stands for, write this down, grace stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. I love that. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. John Stott, a theologian, he says grace is, is God loving, God stooping, God coming to the rescue, God giving himself generously in and through Jesus Christ. Someone has said, the bad news is you're a sinner and you need to be saved. The worst news is there is nothing you could do to save yourself. The good news is you don't have to do anything to get to salvation. The best news, Jesus has done it all for you. And all you have to do is accept it. This is grace. You know, those of you who have seen the play Les, uh, Les Miserables, Know that it's a wonderful story of God's grace and his love over human weakness. The escaped convict, Jean Valjean, had been in prison for 20 years for stealing a loaf of bread. But he finds <coughs> hospitality in the home of a Christian bishop. However, the temptation in the bishop's house is too much for him and he steals some of the bishop's silver and, and runs away. He's stopped by a uh, by a constable who finds the silver on him and accuses him of being a thief. Jean Valjean said, oh no, it was a gift. But the constable marches him back to the bishop's house for verification. Jean, Jean Valjean waits for the words of condemnation that are going to send him back to prison for life. But he's not ready for what he receives. The bishop says, oh yes, it was a gift, but, he says, you forgot to take the most valuable part, my silver lampstand. You were supposed to take it too. Here's a man who's waiting for condemnation and he receives grace. He expected to receive poverty in prison, but he gets abundance and freedom. Then the last thing the bishop says to Jean Valjean is this. You must never forget this moment. Your soul and your life 
have been bought back. You are not your own. From now on, you belong to God. That transformed Jean Valjean's life. It's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. We have stolen from God. We have robbed God of his glory. We, we, we are stained with sin. We've gone our own way. All like, all, all, we are all like sheep. We've gone astray. We, we deserve condemnation. And yet, what do we get? We don't get sentenced to prison. I mean, Jean Valjean, he, he should have went back to prison. But the bishop extended mercy. Just like God extends mercy to us. We, we don't deserve that mercy. We don't deserve that grace. We don't deserve that, that second chance, but he gives it to us. Here's point number two. <coughs> Jesus was given to us as a gift. Um, notice what Isaiah says. For, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. You know, Isaiah gives us two perspectives. Um, one perspective is from heaven. The other is from earth. So when he says, for to us a child is born, that's earth's perspective. That, that's what we celebrate at Christmas time. But then Isaiah the prophet, he goes on and he says, for to us a son is given. That's heaven's perspective. Christ didn't just come, he was given. The text doesn't say to us a son is created. Jesus was not created. He's not a created being. The Bible is so clear that he is the second person of the Holy Trinity. He's the son of God. He's the, the God-man. He has dual natures, a divine nature and a human nature. The whole Jehovah Witnesses, they have taught that Christ is a created being. He is not God. He is a mighty God. He's a lesser God, but he is not God. He is created. He's not eternal. Here's the deal. There's nothing new under the sun. That's what King Solomon said. He's, uh, the, apart, apart from Christ, he's the wisest man to have ever lived. I mean, Solomon wrote like 3,000 Proverbs and, and books in the Bible and, and Proverbs. I mean, this man was, was so filled with God's wisdom. He desired wisdom more than he desired riches. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun, and he's right. You know, this heresy that the Jehovah Witnesses hold on to that, well, Christ is created, that goes all the way back to the third, fourth century with Arius. Arius taught that Christ was a created being. And at the Council of Nicaea in 352, they condemned Arius as a heretic. So you have church fathers and you have these significant church councils because the councils were there to say, listen, here is orthodoxy. Here's orthodox belief, and this is not orthodoxy. This is not what the Bible teaches. Isaiah is right. He was, a, he was born. A child has been born. A son has been given. Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. We know that this was, um, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. Now, what, what is so significant about the virgin birth? Well, several things. Without the virgin birth, Jesus would be a sinner just like you and I. The Jews traditionally believed <coughs> that the original sin was passed through the seed of the man. So in God's brilliance, wisdom, right, Joseph was Jesus' stepdad. So he was adopted. 
So since Jesus was born of a virgin, he was sinless. He was seen as sinless in the eyes of many of his followers. Number two, without the virgin birth, Jesus could not atone for our sins. The question is, how could he? If he was not virgin born, then he could not atone for our sins. If Christ was not conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit, if his biological father indeed was Joseph, then he was a sinner. And if he was a sinner, then his death on the cross did not atone for my sins or your sins. But because he was born of a virgin, he is the perfect substitute for our sins. Only Christ could be fully God, fully man. Only Christ could bridge the gap and connect us back to God. The central meaning of Christmas, I think, is tucked away in what Isaiah is saying. To us, a son is given. This is the central meaning of Christmas. Jesus was given as a gift. He was given as a gift. God freely, willingly, lovingly gave his son as a gift to us. Do you see Christ as a gift? Do you see Christ as this gift from heaven? The best gift that you could ever hope for. The best gift that you could ever receive. You know, there are things in all of our lives that, that we adore, we worship, we serve, we, we idolize. It's like a very, very close, very near to our heart. You know, some people might, it might be like a sports car. You know, I've known people who have bought sports cars and they don't drive them. They're like pristine, pristine condition. I mean, everything's original, everything's clean. It's in their garage and they polish it and they make sure it's all shiny and there's not like even one little speck of dirt on the paint or, you know, um, on, the, you know on the vinyl or wherever, right? That's just, I'm just giving you one example. Some people, it might not be, be a car, it could be a house or, or could be an, an, an item that's like very near and, and dear to your heart. And it, it, maybe it was given to you as a gift and you treasure that gift. Do we see Christ as the greatest gift of all? The greatest treasure of all? Are, are we treating Christ as the treasure that he really is? The question is why was he given? He was given because he could not be earned. He was given because he could not be demanded. He was given because we cannot earn his love. Jesus was given to us by God because God loved us. God gave because we couldn't earn it. Jesus is the gift given to us by God. I want you to see Christ, if he is given to us, I want you to see the Father's love for us. I want you to see this gift from the vantage point of the Father. God the Father was willing to send his Son to bear the wrath, the fury, his fury, his wrath poured out on his Son for the sins of the world. He was willing to, to send his Son on this rescue mission. Christ who would come and he would be rejected and betrayed and, and uh, scourged and beaten and crucified. The Father gave the Son as a beautiful gift to us. If Jesus was given as a gift to us, then what should we do? We need to receive the gift. 
John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Receiving Christ is believing in Christ. Believing in Christ is receiving Christ. How can you experience or what must you do with Jesus? You've got to receive him. You have to receive him. You have to believe in him. You have to believe that he truly is the son of God. As the professional executioner, as Christ breathed his last, he stood there and he said, indeed, this was the son of God. Here's point number three. So number one, all humanity is sinful. Uh, Number two, I forgot my second point already, but he was given as a gift. Yeah, I was just talking about that a moment ago, wasn't I? Yeah, yeah. And uh, number three, reconciliation is possible. So there's brokenness, there's sinfulness, there's a massive divide, but Christ, he's given, the son given, the child born, so that we might be reconciled to the Father. This is the end game. This is the gospel. This is, this, this is the good news. This is everything leading up to the New Testament spoke of this. And, and then we get to the New Testament. There's an angel that appears to Joseph in a dream and says in Matthew 1, 21 to 23, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus means savior. He came to save Literally, he came to take away our sins. Christ has so many names. I mean, in, in Isaiah 6 and 7, you, you see that he's, he's a mighty God. He's a wonderful counselor. He, he's the prince of peace. He's the everlasting father. We know that he's got heavy shoulders. He, you know, he can carry the government upon his shoulders, which means if he can carry the government, if he has that much authority, he can carry your burdens. He can carry your life. He can carry what you're going through. But then, I love this, this other title that the angel tells Joseph that we're gonna, his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. There was a spaceship by the name of Columbia that uh, blew up on reentry on February 1st, 2003. Seven crew members lost their lives in that heartbreaking tragedy. NASA investigators have concluded that the source of the problem occurred on takeoff when a small piece of flyaway foam from the fuel tank hit the lower side of the left wing and damaged it just enough that it couldn't withstand the heat of reentry. For the next 15 days and 22 hours, the seven crew members carried on their mission not knowing they were doomed from the start. Everything seemed to be going smoothly. They couldn't see the damage on the underbelly of the wing. They didn't know they needed rescue, but they did. As NASA engineers debated the extent of the damage to the shuttle, a flight director emailed the astronauts to say there was, quote, absolutely no concern that breakaway foam harmed the spacecraft, end quote. There were voices of authority saying there was nothing wrong, that there was no reason for concern, but the crew was doomed with no hope of escape. Though they didn't know it, they were in desperate need of rescue. 
Even if the astronauts had known, there was nothing that they could have done. They could not have saved themselves. They didn't have the equipment or expertise to get out of the spacecraft and repair the damage. Those seven astronauts in that doomed spacecraft are a picture of the spiritual condition of all mankind. The Bible is so clear. We are doomed from the start. We're born with a sinful nature. We're born away from God without hope, without grace, without forgiveness. We, we cannot save ourselves. We need to be rescued. And only Christ can rescue us because he's Emmanuel. And this is why Christ came. He came to rescue. He came to save. He came to break through and, and hold that title, Emmanuel, God with us. Heaven came to earth so that reconciliation could be possible. You know, religion tells you, you know, you got to please God. You got to give to the church. You got to give to the poor. You got to be a good, moral, you know, upright, standing person, citizen. And religion says, you know, you, you, you've got you've to get after it. You've got you've to earn God's love. You've got to work for it. It's treadmill religious thinking, right? Just get on the treadmill and run as hard as you can and don't get off. Christianity says you cannot possibly save yourself. You cannot earn the love of God there's nothing that you can do. I mean, Isaiah tells us all of our good deeds are like filthy rags. Filthy rags. Every good deed you have ever done, pointless, meaningless. It amounts to a hill of beans. God looks, he looks at it as filthy, dirty, disgusting. Your best gift, I mean, your best deed, your, your, the best, the greatest thing you've ever done in your life Attempting to earn God's favor, God says, Psh, he kicks it aside. Religion says you work. Christianity says, no, Jesus works for you. Religion says, no, you gotta save yourself. Christianity says, no, Jesus, he's done all the saving. It's his grace. It's, it's, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is, right? We cannot save ourselves. This is why Jesus was born. He was born so that we could live. This is why Jesus was sent so that we could be reconciled back to God. You know, God stepped onto the stage of human history. And you know what he did? He solved a very real problem. We're separated from him. We're separated from God, but Christ came and he died for us so that we could then be reconciled to this God who created the heavens and the earth. This God that created you, this God that made you in his image, this God that loves you. But that reconciliation is not possible unless Christ is born and unless Christ was given. Christ was given so that we could be reconciled back to God. Let's pray.